0: Hello, everybody. My name is Angel. I use they and she pronouns, and I'm the sex educator at Alberta Sex Positive Education and Community Center, which is a nonprofit in Edmonton, Alberta, that promotes sex positivity through workshops and blog posts and events and all kinds of stuff. And they do everything from consent classes to hosting like Sibian nights, sort of thing. You can find them at www.aspecc.ca and check in the comments for links. So recently I wrote a post about consent and gender and got a lot of feedback from folks uh would like to talk about it a little bit. So for this issue of sex talk, we are talking about consent and gender. And just as a little bit of a content warning, we are going to be talking about consent, which means we're also going to touch on assault, violence, heterosexism, cissexism, And some of what I have to say you might not like. Um, First person to not all mend me will get turfed off of my page. So um, just don't. When we're talking about gender, it, it is such a huge topic. It's huge. It's complicated. But if we try to boil it down into something so that we're all sure that we're talking about the same thing. What I would define gender as is the socially constructed values and beliefs about a person's ability, their personality traits, and their worth, all based on whatever we think their sex is. And when I say socially constructed, uh, this term has been kind of like a little trigger for people who don't like talking about gender. And all that means is that we're taught it. We're not born with it. Right. Infants don't come out as either nurturers or aggressive uh, based on what their genitals are. Like, that's not how life works. But because our society is structured in a very binary sexual way, these things are taught. And <laughs> that makes them socially constructed. Uh, Whether or not you have a vagina or uterus or a penis or testicles or or some of both or XY chromosomes or whatever, those things are biological. They're not taught by society. Like what body parts you have or what you're born with and um, until you're old enough to make choices about those kinds of things and, and attain gender affirming surgeries to align your body with yourself, that's how that is. But the roles that we're supposed to play, the ideas we have about how men and women think and talk differently, about how we have different goals, about how we have different needs, that's all socially constructed and scientifically it's been debunked a lot. If you're looking for a good book to get you started on looking at what gender is actually all about, go check out Cordelia Fine. She has a couple of books out there well, more than a couple. I really liked Delusions of Gender and um, if you're if you're enjoying her writing style and whatever, there's a newer one out called uh, Testosterone Rex, I think. and That's pretty funny. Um, anyways, Cordelia Fine. So, I'm obsessed with gender. Like, I am literally obsessed. I am obsessed with figuring out why We, as a society, are hung up on sorting people based on their reproductive organs. And once you start picking at what gender is, at the values that hold it, you're going to find that the rules are bizarre. And the standards and values have so little to do with reality. And in my not-so-humble opinion, the, the ideas we have about gender are quite harmful to everybody, to men, to women, to adults, to children. I haven't found any yet that were helpful. And just because one of the first comments I got on my blog post was, well, it's helpful to know if you should stand or sit when you urinate. Um, that's not biology. Biology. That's laziness. Do you know it's actually better for prostate health? If you sit when you urinate, if you have a penis. So just saying. Google's your friend. Go look that up. Okay, so gender. We actually identify people by those intimate bits. Before we're even born, people around our parents are like, Ooh, do you want a boy or a girl? Do you know the sex yet? And once they have an idea, Um, Our nurseries will be decorated with those pastel pinks and blues that seem to be reserved for either baby nurseries or Easter. We will dress our child differently based on what genitals they have, signaling to the whole world that this clothed child has a penis or a vagina. We give them a different set of toys to admire and interact with. And as we grow up, we are exposed to the modeling of gender in our homes, our schools, our communities, our popular culture, all media, uh, our peer groups, our, our churches, all the way through. And I know things are changing and there's been a lot of positive changes, but you, you really need to recognize that just accepting that some people are attracted to folks who are the same sex as them or... um understanding that girls can be good at math and boys can be good at cooking isn't enough. Like it's not enough and the reason why is that every time we assign something that like women can be good at and they start to move into that field we devalue that field and they get paid less. Uh, I used to get paid more to be be a cook for example and when women started moving into that role the wages went down. And same with like janitorial stuff or, you know, any other job that you can think of. So we need to really look at what those those values are. Now as little kids, um, boys are told not to throw like a girl. And they're told not to cry because girls, of course, are weak and, and emotional and oversensitive while boys are rough and tough and apparently don't have those kinds of feelings. And that's great. If you have a boy who came out of your vagina rough and tough and tumble, and a girl who came out overly emotional for no reason, I mean, happy for you and whatnot, but those don't cry or throw like a girl comments are very clearly valuated. And we're gonna talk about that in a sec, sec, but like there's a value assigned there. And it's really important we recognize why that's important. Why we want to be careful about allowing ourselves to hold those kinds of ideas. Um, anyways, everything that we're exposed to is gender based. Our stories that we read are gender based. Um, I grew up where I was being read fairy tales all the time, and I remember I had a sleepover at my grandma's. My uncle's only a couple years older than me. And I wanted a bedtime story and Grandma read Huck Finn. That's not a book that she would have read to me because I'm a girl, but his interest took priority and you know, of course, he wouldn't want to hear about princesses because he's a boy and boys aren't supposed to like princesses. So I got to learn about Huck Finn and I actually got the book from the library when I went back to school the next week and really enjoyed it, but also found it very problematic. So even as a kid, I guess I had a little bit of this attitude about like, why is that okay just because he's a boy? Um, Chores in the house are often divided by gender, even in the words we use. So if both people are cooking and cleaning and both people are doing yard work, quite often the language still indicates whose responsibility it is. With things like oh my husband helped me with the housework or I'm out helping my husband with the yard work or building the shed or you know those kinds of things and yes there are exceptions I get that I I can just feel the comments lighting up I know there are exceptions I am an exception because I prefer to work with tools than do housework so my partner is more likely to help me with a woodworking project Um, but Even in those exceptions, you can find some of these rules, like the task of managing the home, even if the woman is the person who's uh, working, um, whether as as a second income or the main income, typically still falls to whoever's been deemed the homemaker as the woman's role. Um, I know that's changing, and I'm grateful, but it can't happen fast enough. A woman who is is married often has a job and is still coming home looking after the children and managing the family home with the help of her children and her spouse. And a lot of these messages, like we were talking about how they're value-based, and they really are, right? And when we look at the, the things that are stereotyped into male-female and, and we look at what the value is, we value leadership more than we do following. And we view boys as leaders and when girls try to be leaders they're bossy right we value strength over compassion because we want well because we value capitalism but uh and we value work versus housework like anything that's attached as girly is lesser unless of course you happen to be a girl in which case you have to figure out how to make that more important so My point is, is that we have an entirely different set of expectations for men and women, for boys and girls, and those roles are very recognized by sex educators, such as myself, as being the foundation for this ongoing, never ending culture of sexual harassment, sexual assault, and intimate partner violence. And I think this is where I'm going to touch on the not all men, because I know somebody isn't going to be able to resist. And people always say to me like not all men you can't treat all men but i am going to argue that it is actually all men because that is how we're socialized just like it it is all women that struggle with the burden of what they've been taught um which is a totally different chat but when you do find those exceptions and you start digging a little bit deeper you're gonna find that they had to learn often painfully to be the exception and that they're still dealing with the weight of that gender role, even if they're actively trying not to. It's, it's gonna be a lifelong lesson because in our formative years, this is what we're exposed to. So let's just look at those roles, loosely speaking. And remember that I said loosely speaking because I only have you for another 15 minutes. So I wanna make sure that we cover it all. And uh, on that note, Um, for the radio show this is where we'll kick you over to break and you know hope you enjoy the news from our sponsors and stuff and i just want to do a shout out for the anonymous sponsor that donated to aspect enough uh, gift cards for our core volunteers who are experiencing financial crisis to be able to at least have christmas dinner so thank you very much for that Awesome. So my name is Angel. I use they and she pronouns. You're listening to Sex Talk and today we're talking about gender and consent. And this is kind of a foundation of 101, what goes on in Angel's brain. So you can understand when I'm talking about consent and gender, where these ideas are coming from. And we talked a little bit about how these roles are formed by what we're taught in society. They're not actually formed by biology. So let's look at some of these loose rules that are assigned to men and women and keep in mind that I am aware that we can make choices and all that good stuff. I'm talking about the social constructs which are heterosexual and they are sexist. So um, just bear with me. Friendship. Women are taught to form close friendship. And that includes sharing emotional labor with their friends, supporting each other, having unconditional positive regard. Friendship is valuable. It's essential and rewarding. And even when they fight in that friendship, the making up and the moving forward is a valued part of that friendship. Girls have bosom buddies. They, they confide in their bosom buddies, their feelings, their hopes, their, their shames, their crushes, their joy, their grief. All of that. And in those friendships, you know how those, those wall plaques are like laugh like no one's listening and dance like no one's watching. In friendships that, that are modeled as, as the ideal to girls, you can do that. You can be ridiculous with your friends. You can be unencumbered with your friends because, because you have that sharing that goes on that takes out that, that power base that we, you know, often get stuck in with other people. Men are taught to form friendships, ships, um, form friendships. And although those friendships are typically less close, they are more activity based. So they have drinking buddies, fishing buddies, you know, hockey buddies, teammates, that kind of thing. Men engage more in parallel play than they do interactive collaborative play. And it's quite often also with a goal of winning, so yay, it's who can drink more, who can hit harder, who can catch more fish, who can win at darts, you know, with all those little competitions, who can get more phone numbers from girls, who's had more sex. Um, They don't typically share their inner feelings because that's like woman stuff. They might share how angry they are about something or how disgusted they are with a political thing or how horny they are or their desire to go meet somebody but they're not going to share their tears their fears their hopes their shames and joys with one another and friendship is valued in so much as you know bros before hoes but not if the person they want to have sex or romance with friends them because then they're losing at sex or romance So the friendship of someone of the opposite sex isn't valuable to them. And when we, um, in another episode, when we talk about incels and the culture there, that's a really important thing to note is that if you view friendship as only okay, you know, with your bros and that it's not valuable with girls, that can create a huge Entitlement. Adulting and responsibility is another area where some of these gender roles really come out to play. Men are taught that their purpose in life is to support a family, to be productive, to, to bring home the bacon. They're conditioned to view their self-worth as synonymous with financial success. And, depending on the family, that might also include being able to attract a wife and have some children and be able to look after them. Um, not all. Men don't have that same degree of pressure across the board to create families, but in some families that is the expectation, that is the culture. Men get told to suck it up, bring home the bacon and this is prioritized over their own physical well-being, their own mental health, their own dreams and hopes, their own happiness. They're also responsible for disciplining the pets and the children, and perhaps their wife by keeping everyone in line and running a tight ship, and they're told to focus on the end game. Men are judged by the attractiveness of their partners more than they are by the attractiveness of themselves, the size of their bank account, their ability to only feel lust, anger, sports-related glee, and confidence. If you ever go check out what women think they're looking for, handsome, fit, confident, financially secure at the top. And when you talk to women, they're like, well, if he was, you know, um, balding or chubby or too short, I could deal with that if, right? So, um, and depending on the age group too. Women are taught, on the other hand, that their purpose in life is to create love and a family and bring lives into the world. They're conditioned to view their self-worth as synonymous with a happy husband that supports them and children that are attractive, do well in school and obey authority. They're taught that competence in this role means having a fastidious house, home-cooked meals, baked goodies, and they win in relationships by knowing he will change and supporting him in his endeavors. They are taught to love unconditionally even when this unconditional love means putting up with abuse. They are taught to run the home, but to be okay with being considered the second in command once their partner comes home. Adult women are pressured into having children and even denied well into their 40s medical procedures that can prevent pregnancy. They a fight like hell in many places just to access birth control. They're also judged by the thinness of their waist, the perkiness of their boobs, and the value of their husband. If you look at what men on dating sites are looking for, fit, attractive, young, and down to fuck are the top four. So gender and sexuality. Men are upheld as having strong desires that begin in puberty. This desire is proclaimed to be so strong that most schools have like a dress code policing how much shoulder or midriff or thigh a girl can expose in school in order to protect boys and their male teachers from being distracted. Once they begin to have crushes and sexual interest jokes and comments are made about adults on how the boy needs to not give up when his crush isn't interested and about how you know oh probably just likes you when a boy is being overly rough and physically harassing a girl. Um, Boys are encouraged to have girlfriends as they hit puberty and to show off to women they're interested in by engaging in dangerous activities. It's all just part of the win the girl mentality. And boys being boys, they of course, of course struggle with body language and understanding nuance and romance. They grow up being told that no means yes, yes means yes, but not saying no doesn't mean yes. They're encouraged to get sexual experience, please be safe, son, here's a condom, because it's expected behavior. Women have strong desires that start in puberty too, but apparently those desires are to trick a boy by getting knocked up or maliciously accusing them of assault when they did nothing or when they have consensual sex, because of course women aren't supposed to do that. Um, at least not till they're married. Women are taught to desire bad boys, but to expect them to turn into good men once they have children and settle down. They're supposed to dance that line between being attractive and therefore valuable because they're fuckable and being innocent and therefore actually having value in a permanent relationship. And rarely does anyone talk about the desire for sexual pleasure that women feel as they enter puberty because, of course, the vagina is just a baby maker. So, in all seriousness, I I know these are really strong stereotypes and I doubt that there are many parents out there going, son, go forth and win some sex, consent or not. But those messages are really ingrained in our culture. You think about movies that you watched growing up, Um, Sixteen Candles is a good one to go and take a look at. Netflix is a great teaching tool for how this kind of stuff has changed because you can watch things that have had seasons and see how they've weeded out some of the problematic content over the years as this has become more understood. Our songs that we listen to, even the way we're sorted in school and and taught to deal with peer-to-peer social problems, all supports the notion that boys are going to grow up to be the breadwinners to be more interested in sex than love and they put up with the love in order to get the permanent partner sex baby maker housemaker. and women are taught that they're not supposed to want or enjoy sex that it's something you do to please your partner and you can only do it once you know they're not going to undervalue you because of it. And, you know, so forth and so on. And When we come back, we're going to talk about how that plays into consent. You're listening to Sex Talk. My name is Angel and we'll be right back. You're listening to Sex Talk. This is Angel, they, she pronouns, and I'm broadcasting on behalf of Alberta Sex Positive Education Community Center at www.ASPcc.CA So we're talking about sex and gender and consent and how all of these things come into play. And we've explored some ways in which gender roles really set the stage for a total inability to navigate consent in an organic way without it being explicitly taught. So how do those gender roles impact consent? I mean, girls are growing up with a very clear message that they're not really supposed to want sex until, you know, it's to get married or have children. And even when raised by sex-positive parents, because they're still getting messages in sex ed, at school, from their peers, from the music they listen to, the TV shows they watch, um, society clearly devalues women when they don't engage in whatever that a magic amount of sex is. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like the the not so little sex that they're frigid and therefore dysfunctional, not fuckable and not worth the work, but not so much that they're damaged goods and slutty and that kind of thing. Like there's this magic amount of sex that a woman needs to have to have maximum relationship appeal, which is really fucked up. <laughs> Just saying. I really have a hard time with it. And sex education in schools, they they mention ejaculation because that's part of the life creation process. So they do talk about ejaculation. So we all know that people with penises are able to experience sexual pleasure. But I've never heard a sex ed teacher talk about how the clitoris is the the bundle of nerves you need to stimulate to cause an orgasm in someone with a clitoris. And that's, that's complicated. Like if they're not saying that and all the message we get is from social media and anytime sex is portrayed on our pop culture or social media, it's penis and vagina sex, right? Um, well, and penis and something sex. It's always about the penis going into something and somehow that, that is where the orgasm comes from. And Lord help you if you're getting your information from pornography or, romances because then it has to happen simultaneously with the ejaculation of the penis and for folks who've been here for the whole show you probably noticed I went from going girls boys men women to now talking about the body parts and that is because although those messages are very binary and they assume that if you have a vagina you must have all these girl qualities and if you have a penis you must have all these boy qualities By the time we're at the dating age, it becomes more about the genitals than it does about the roles. And I would prefer it if we always talked about the body parts instead of using male and female, because it's very excluding towards people who are genderqueer, intersex or transitioned. So. Um, Or transitioning or questioning or not heterosexual or and like I could just go on and on and on. But that's just not how school is yet working. We're pushing for it and hopefully it happens. Um, But going back to how this impacts consent. When we're looking at this boy girl message that's based on their genitals. We're also looking at that message of shame that they're getting where if you want to explore sex and you have a vagina, you're, you're going to be dealing with shame and feel like it's abnormal or bad or wrong for wanting to do so. And thankfully, we're seeing this really improve with the younger generations, mostly because um, the kids are talking to each other, which is incredible. I love the Internet for that and that alone. But that shame causes a lot of challenges for being able to communicate honestly which just creates confirmation for folks that believe that when a girl says no, she means yes. Right. And there's, uh, there's been times where I've said no, where I wasn't sure if maybe I wanted to, but I did that under the assumption that once I thought about it, if I wanted to, I'd be able to express that, (laughs) right. Not have somebody tell me what I need. Just say, um, pleasure and desire already a complex issue, we're dealing with that shame and the ability to communicate clearly can really be problematic. And then on top of that, there is that message of viewing friendship of girls as an emotional labor and that being girly and being taught that it's not worth the effort unless you're getting sex. And I want to be clear, right? So men talk about how being friend zoned is like one of the worst things a girl can do to you. They feel ripped off if they've done emotional labor in creating a friendship and they're not getting rewarded with, with blowjobs or sex. They don't wanna do the emotional work unless they're being rewarded with sex. The sex is a thing that you win, not an activity you do to, to the mutual pleasure of you and your partner. And sex, as a reward, is something boys pursue and girls give under this this whole model. Um, They score, they get laid, they're a player and many other terms are all competitive. And all the terms used for girls that have sex are dehumanizing and objectifying. So how can we possibly ask our teenagers to understand consent? How do we ask That they trust the answer they are given when they're taught that people say no but they mean yes and that they have to persevere and not give up if they're going to win and if they can't win that they're a loser. How do we teach them that they can say yes when they're objectified and vilified for saying yes? So with the view that boys are down a fuck all the time, why would a girl not think that they could just touch a boy whenever they wanted to? And whatever the way they wanted to. And if you don't believe me that that happens, just go to a male strip show or a swingers bar and you'll see what I mean. And with messages that girls lie about they want and there's something to win, how are boys supposed to be thinking about wanting to have sex together and what mutual pleasure is? So these are, these are really, like I said, rigid, strong stereotypes that I'm, I'm sharing And I just want to bring it to a little bit of a personal because my partner is one of the gentlest people I've ever met and excels at creating safe space in the bedroom for being honest about what you want and still had to learn and is still learning to step outside of that male entitlement because it's ingrained, it's taught and he's aware of it, and he's honest about it, and, and I'm exhausted from years of putting up with different kinds of abuse from other people. So I'm really good at verbalizing when something's uncomfortable, and he makes it safe to do so too. Like I don't wanna sound like I get all the credit here. So we've never had any wounds in our relationship due to that kind of behavior. But I've watched him struggle with it. And I've struggled with it. Um, When he was depressed, I was really annoyed that he wasn't in the mood to have sex because I wanted to have lots of sex and I didn't seem to want to. It was very (laughs) annoying. And I had to do the work to step outside of that entitlement that we're taught to have with our partners to understand that consent means mutual pleasure. And that's just the way it is so this is like i said this is just kind of a 101 to what the foundation is i'm gonna push that book again um check out cordelia fine's book delusions of gender it'll help um try not to be afraid of the term rape culture because if you read stuff on what the foundations of rape culture is it'll help understand a little more If you'd like a book list because you're working on stuff or you want to join the discussion on healthy masculinity, uh, we have that rolling right now. and We'd love to have you, so reach out. And my email is angel, just like you put on the Christmas tree, at aspect, which is A-S-P-E-C-C dot C-A. And you can check out our website as well. And you can also find me at empowered-hearts.com where I run a sex positive consulting business. You've been listening to sex talk and I'm wishing you a sex positive day and lots of love during these very troubling times.